Well, if you've been here the last few weeks, you will realise that we've been doing a series. You will realise we've been doing a series entitled "Leading Communities into Life," and the role of what we call um, trusted rulers in seeing this come about. So, if you've been here the last few weeks, you would have seen that we've had this kind of triangle. You'll get it on a sheet in a minute. And a trusted ruler is somebody who knows their identity, who they are. Somebody who knows what God has called them to be and to do. And lastly, the topic I'm sharing on, I'm going to finish off this series, um, Authority. And though that we've been looking at them separately, in some ways it's very difficult to kind of split them off because they, they, in some ways they're all linked together. A good example is, as many of you know, I'm a, I'm a dad. I'm a father of four children, Hannah, Sophie, Daniel and Abraham, if you remember it. <laughs> and um, but that's part of my identity. I'm a father. Part of my role is that dictated that as a father, I have certain responsibilities towards them, and because I'm a, their father, I also have certain authority to to speak and minister into their lives that other people don't have. So though we've been looking at them all separately, they are very much intertwined. So even as I focus in on authority. You will see that I will also relate to other areas because, in some ways, it's so difficult to unpack them. The verse I like to look at it might look very similar to what Nigel did last week, but I kind of went back one verse. It's a well-known verse, Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, "All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me." Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the ages. And Nigel very much unpacked kind of verses nineteen and twenty um, last week. If you haven't listened to the last few talks, I'd really encourage you to listen to them on the podcast because it very much. Holds together as a subject, but what I want to look at, particularly this morning, is authority. When Jesus said to them, "All authority," you know, we talked about therefore go and make disciples, but we can only go and make disciples as we get an increased revelation and understanding of the authority that Jesus has and the authority that we carry. Now, I wanted to very quickly look at what is authority and why can Jesus give us authority? There's no way. I can unpack that um, this morning. I'd really encourage you, if you haven't been on it, if you have been on it before, to go to courses like Freedom in Christ, because they can. There's just lots of time to unpack this truth. But I want to. I want to just touch on it, and then this morning I particularly want to just focus. I guess maybe because it's my heart, it's my passion. On what does it look like to live in that authority? And those who know me, I'm a. I also do some consultancy. And so I always love asking questions and help us think through, how does that look like? How can we grow in this area? When we wake up tomorrow morning, how does this talk potentially affect our lives tomorrow? So what's authority? Just a couple of definitions. Webster, you've got it there in your notes. To direct and control, to regulate by authority, to influence, to direct, to restrain, to steer or regulate the course of Exercise authority to main, maintain supremacy. Well, as I said below, authority is delegated power. 
Maybe a good example of this is policemen. You don't see it so much here in the UK, except when there's an accident. But having lived in places like Egypt and Lebanon, it happens all the time because traffic lights don't really work there. And um, now, if I was in Egypt and I kind of, if I did it here, if I stepped out in the road and I went, stop, what's going to happen? Well, either I get run over and get flattened, or somebody's just going to wind down the window, honk, and just maybe say some words that wouldn't be particularly nice towards me. Because they wouldn't be happy. Why? Because I do not have the authorization to do that. Now, a policeman, he can do that. He can step out and go, stop, or go this way, or go that way. Now, can he literally do that? In some ways, no, because he's no stronger than I am. He's not Superman. In some ways, he cannot stop a car. If that car decides to go, he's always going to be flat. It doesn't matter whether you're big or small. However, he has authority because he's been given authority. He's been given delegated authority. He's had authority invested in him by the government. The government says, you know, you're a policeman. You have this authority to better do things that other people can't do. And so that's part of what we're talking about today, that we have been given an authority, that we have had an authority invested in us, delegated to us because of Jesus. Why can Jesus give us authority? That's quite important because it's all good saying Jesus has all authority, therefore you guys go and do it. Those of you who love Jesus and follow Jesus, you can only give away something that belongs to you. Yeah? No, I mean, it's not rocket science. So let's see. I can't see. Let's, just see. let's imagine there's a B&W out there. I couldn't just go, hey, guys, who wants a B&W? Well, none of you agree. None of the lads want a BMW. Uh, I can't give it to you because it doesn't belong to me. You can only give something that belongs to you. Therefore, for Jesus to be able to say, all authority belongs to me and I'm giving it to you, he must be able to have it. Only those that have authority, whatever it may be, can give it away. If Christ does not have the complete dominion over the earth, he cannot give it to us. And therefore, we must understand that Christ has complete authority over the whole earth. And as I put there, he earned it for his life, death, and resurrection. Again, this is something that freedom in Christ is beautifully. But you could summarize one way of looking at Scripture from Genesis to Revelation is that God created the earth. One way of kind of paraphrasing creation is to offer has the same root as authority. He offered the earth. He brought it into being. He said, here, Adam and Eve, you have dominion over the world. Because of choices, of decisions they made, what we would call sin, they lost their authority. But praise be to God. Because of what Jesus did on the cross for his death, for his life, for his death, for his resurrection, for his ascension, we can have that authority back. So we can have that authority. But I'd really encourage you, even though I whip through that very quickly, if you get time, think about it, plow into it, we need to get that deep into the core of our beings. Because do we really believe that he has all authority, we'll find it hard to accept that and outlive that in our lives. So what are the implications of living out our God-given authority in seeking to lead our lives Sorry, lead our lives and our communities 
into life. And for me, this is crucial. In some ways, why are we doing this topic? This is kind of series that Nigel and I have been doing the last few weeks. Because we want to see God's kingdom come. We want to see God's power begin to impact our lives and through our lives, the communities that we live in. And that comes when we grasp our identity, our authority, and our assignment. I thought um, a guy called Kevin Deadman, who is involved in a church in the States, he had this little quote I came across, and I thought it summarized and linked it all together beautifully. Having a proper revelation of our identity determines the level of kingdom authority we walk in, which determines the amount of influence we have in bringing the kingdom of God to earth. I could stop there and say, just think and mull that over for a while. I'd encourage you maybe to do that you know, at the dining room table. But we need to grasp it, because when we begin to grasp it, it affects the way that we live, it affects the way that we think, it affects the way that we speak. Just to give you um, a few examples, firstly from Acts, uh, Nigel asked me to speak about this about three weeks ago, and we were, Katie and I were just starting to read Acts um, in the morning, and I've kind of been looking at it through the eyes of identity and authority, and it's interesting because it's so crucial. If you know anything about the disciples, um, particularly from the Gospels, people that are afraid, scared, nothing particularly is happening. Something happens related to the, the verse we just read. At some point, they got this revelation of who they are and what authority they have and what God has called them to be. And then you get the book of the Acts because they're just totally different people. And so there's a well-known passage. If you've been around church for a while, I could sing it to you. No, my wife curves her eyes. I won't sing it to you. No, Peter and John went to pray. They met a lame man on the way. You could join me if you want. No, I'm not going to sing it. I'm not doing ministry afterwards for um, yeah, eardrums. And, um, and the lame man, you know, stopped them. And Peter and John said, silver and gold have I not. But what I have I give unto you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And I've always liked that kind of story because I just think it's quite cool. And particularly in Egypt, you see lots of lame people. Actually, there's lots of people in Eastley, I notice, and where I live. So it's getting me excited. And, um, but what they say was they knew who they were. They knew what they had and they knew what they didn't have. They said, we don't have silver and gold. Things that in the natural might give people authority, particularly in that era and that culture. But they said, but we know what we do have. And what we have, we give you. It's not like, God, if you're in a good mood, can this lame man walk? They knew what they carried. They knew that they'd been given authority. That them being there was as good as if Jesus had been there at that point in time. And so they commanded, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. It's only as you know what you have that you can begin to live out of that place. And so that's why it's so crucial to know what you have, because you can only in some ways release what you know you have. Secondly, I'd just like to share a story. I've often shared this story here, so sir, if you, you heard it again, I've probably heard it more than anybody else, because I share it. But even as I hear it, it kind of challenges me afresh in the sense of another illustration of what it can look like as we live out our lives in authority. When we used to live abroad, people used to ask me, what's some of the most amazing things that you've seen done? And I was privileged to see God heal lots of different people in different situations. But I always say that the the most powerful thing I saw and the lesson I learned the most from living abroad links into this idea of identity and authority. I call it the visa story. And 
For a number of years, um, Katie and I and our family, we lived in, in Lebanon. And getting a visa there was really hard. Uh, you'd spend like a day a week in this kind of a visa place. Everybody wore kind of army uniforms. I mean, they did everything to kind of make you feel intimidated. They sent you from one office to another office. And you kind of went around going, please, give me a, a visa. I'll be good. Uh, and you get this thing. And it, was, it was a real drain. If you know our story, we were kindly asked to leave. Uh, and so we ended up in, in Egypt. But we still had this kind of same mentality. We had to go and get this visa, have a reason, get a tourist visa. I was a tourist for six years, you know that. It's amazing. It's a lot to see in Egypt. And, um, um, yeah, that's a diversion. <laughs> uh, but it was kind of this mentality. We had to go like once a year, once every six months. And I used to hate it. I kind of felt as the man, it was my responsibility to kind of go and do this, because mainly men seem to do this in the culture. And so I'd kind of go. I wouldn't sleep the night before. I just, oh, I just hate it. And I'd kind of toss and turn. I'd kind of go in, keep my head low. God, may they give me this visa, please. And uh, I mean, it was particularly intimidating, because in Lebanon, you're allowed to talk about Jesus. In Egypt, you're not. And so I've been asked to leave one country. I didn't want to leave another one. And, and then you get this little visa and you go, oh, you know, and then we'd go, well, I'd go and um, I'd, you know, celebrate, have a McDonald's, as one does in style there. And then about four or five years ago, um, both Katie and I, we, we, we heard a lot and we got a lot of input and teaching on identity and authority and who we are. And it changed our perspective, it changed the way that began to live, which is why I'm sharing this story because we still had to go back to that visa office. In some ways, nothing had changed. It was still a visa office we went to. We went with a different perspective. I remember the first time we went back after hearing some of this teaching and trying to outlive it in our lives. Uh, we slept way better. There was still a little bit of nervousness, but there was also a sense of excitement, and we were doing some of the things I will share later, reminding ourselves of who we are and what God has called us to be. And there was a particular lady there that all foreigners knew her. We called her the Dragon Lady. I know it's not the nicest thing to say. But nobody had ever seen her smile. She was always grumpy. And we knew when we walked into the visa office, God was up to something, because she was laughing. And I remember we walked in, and Katie and I looked at each other, and we thought, God's here. God's at work here. He's going to do something. And I remember Katie just said to me, uh, and there were some American girls there trying to get a visa, and Katie just said to me, oh, prophesy into their life, Paul. You know, put me in it. And uh, so we did some stuff, and it was just... A total transformation, because you're trying to keep your head low. Well, they asked us to come back the next day. And that normally would have created a huge panic. I'd never been asked to come back again. And we were going to meet the head of security. Now, two or three years before that, certainly the time in Lebanon, Egypt, that would have been like, this is a man that he dictates who can stay and who can go. But because we'd had an increased revelation and understanding that actually we are the ones in Christ. Our dad is a king. Our dad is his ultimate boss. So we kind of looked at him and thought, wow, what an opportunity. I wonder what God wants to do here. Wow, we get to meet the top man. I wonder what God wants to share with him. So I gave him some business advice. And, uh, and then we got asked to come back the next day. Katie couldn't come that time. And it was Mother's Day, which is a huge event in Egypt. And so I went in, and that time they gave us the visa. And um, I just... I just yelled out in the visa office, you know, who's a, who's a mum here? And some people put their hands up. It was kind of a bit of a shock because everybody tries to keep their head down in these places. And I said, can I just pray for you? Because um, 
you know, being a mum is an awesome responsibility. So I'm just going to let everybody in, in, in prayer there. And I share that story because it, for me it encapsulates what it looks like. The situation hadn't changed. It was still a visa office. It was still intimidating. In theory on paper, this is a guy that could get me expelled. And people had been getting expelled all the time we were there. But because I had a greater understanding of who I was, it kind of began to outlive itself. Began to affect, I think I put it there, that rather than going to this place and allowing myself to be intimidated, this is one of the most intimidating places you can know. You know, when you've been spending your whole life trying to get into a country, it's not much fun being asked to leave. It's kind of your dreams, your visions, your passions. And so it's very easy to get intimidated. But knowing that, actually, I go in there. I'm the one that's in charge. I think I put it there. It's me. I heard this years ago, that God calls us to be thermostats, not thermometers. God calls us to set the temperature. I don't know about you. Maybe you're going to go, maybe in the next few days, you're going to go back into a situation, a family situation, a work situation. And it's kind of like, it feels kind of awkward. It feels tense. And sometimes it's very easy to pick that up. And so you just start to live out of that place. Everybody's grumbling, so you start grumbling. Rather than, we are the ones that are called to set the tone, to set the temperature, to be thermometers. I mean, sorry, thermostats. Thirdly, it will affect your speech, not just confidence, but how and what you speak. Again, I love to be able to unpack this. As you know, one of my roles here is um, prayer, and I could just talk about this for the whole time, and I can't. But just to say that as you begin to know who you are, it begins to affect how you speak and what you speak. Just to give you one simple example, um, probably most of us, however old we are, we can probably remember our school days, and we all know teachers who did not know that they had authority. Yeah? You, you know, we all, I, can always, I can think of a couple of, of teachers who maybe they had the label that they're the teacher, but they didn't know that. You could see it in the way they spoke, how they reacted in relation to that situation. And I think sometimes some of us are like that. We're like those teachers. We look, look back on them and I think, oh, that was an awful teacher. He was meant to be in charge, but he wasn't in charge. Because you could see it in the way that he lived and he outworked his situation, his classroom situation, but it was most obvious for his speech. When we begin to realize who we are, it affects what we do. So verse there, you will decree a fiend and it will be established for you and light will shine on your ways. Because when you realize who you are, that you're the king of kings, your dad owns everything, affects what you say. One of the things when I was preparing for this, and it wasn't on my notes this morning, I was praying, I was reminded of a verse in scripture, it talks about speaking to mountains. And I was really pleased, I don't know where the band's gone, but uh, when they had the song about mountains, I went, yeah. Um, that as we begin to realize our fortune that we have, we can begin to speak to mountains. And I really believe that one of the things that God wants to do when we have a time of ministry, but we don't have to wait till then, he can begin to do right now, is begin to move some mountains. There might be mountains in your life, there's mountains in my life. Particularly uh, a couple I felt that just kind of came into my mind. One was just the fear of, uh, the mountain of just fear. I really believe that God wants to do some breakthrough in fear. Fear of being, I lived, I've got grew up in the mountains, the Andes, and they can cast a huge shadow. And I was just really aware, like a shadow um, of fear. And God wanted to move that mountain. It only has a shadow because a mountain's there. And when the mountain is removed, the shadow will go. So I'd really encourage you this morning, just be pressing in. If there is particularly fear, 
that seems to be holding you back in any way. I think this is a morning where God wants to bring some breakthrough in that. Rushing through, I feel like I can do that. Marathon and a sprint all combined. How can we grow in this area? In some ways, I can't convey how, how important this, this is. But how can, we, how can we grow in it? Firstly, bottom line is we need a revelation of our identity and authority. And that's normally birthed in the place of intimacy. You will see I gave you a, a, a few verses. Uh, particularly Ephesians, um, it talks about just praying. You know, Paul says, this is my prayer for the Ephesus church. And Ephesus church was an amazing church on the human level. The impact it was having on the community, its growth and its numbers from what we can understand. And yet Paul is saying, there's one thing you lack. You need to grasp. You need to understand. Not just in your head, but in your, in your life, in your heart, and the way that you live. Who Christ is and who you are. And if you look at that, you know, Ephesians 1 and 2. There, particularly Ephesians 2 verse 6, talks about us being seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus and that all things, whatever that may be, you can fill in the, the blank, have been placed beneath our feet. Secondly, one of the other verses I said, and this is particularly where identity and authority so closely can intertwine, they're like two sides of a coin. Romans eight fifteen to 16 talks about us being sons and daughters Co-heirs and heirs of Christ. Did I say that right? No. <laughs> I had real trouble pronouncing certain words. Anyway, we've got an inheritance in Christ. <laughs> and, um, you know, and Ephesians talks about us being adopted. John 1 verse 12 says, But as many that received him, he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believed his name. And the word right in that verse means authority. We have the authority to become children of God. And when we begin to gain that revelation and insight that we are children of God, I think I've shared this before many times, you know, my children get to do things in my house that nobody else could do in my house. They can't, only my children can come in and just start opening the refrigerator and, you know, they know where the chocolate cupboard is. My wife's chocolate cupboard, obviously, I don't, I don't touch it. And um, because they, they have that authority, they know who they are. It affects the way they live. And I said it just below there, both in Jewish and Roman culture, when a son came of age or he was officially adopted, they would present the person, the son, the son-to-be, to those gathered and say, this is my son. And this meant that from now on, this person's son had authority to transact on the family's business on the father's behalf. And when we choose to follow Jesus, when we say, Jesus, I want you to be in charge of my life, when we become, as the Bible would say, sons and daughters of Christ, we are presented. We can now transact on the Father's behalf, on the behalf of his business. And his business, if you want to know, just read something like Isaiah 61, which talks about releasing the captives, opening the eyes of the blind, helping the lame walk, bringing the kingdom of God. This is our, this is our business. Um, if it wasn't clear enough from what Nigel said last week, this is our, our, our assignment. If you need any more clarity, just read Isaiah 61. And we've been authorized. We're now in the family business. You know when you have those signs that say, um, bakers, sons and daughters, um, fishmonger. Uh, we, we, our names are there. We're in the family business. We are being presented. 
And also we need a revelation of our, our domain and what that looks like. In some ways, yeah, the whole world has been given to us. But also God has specific kind of callings and things that he wants us to push into. And I just share the one that's very important for me in the sense of practicalities. I often go back to Psalm 2 verse 8. I will give you the nations as your inheritance and the utmost parts of the earth as your possession. When I come to pray, one of, the, uh, one of my main responsibilities, not in church, but in my, my normal work, my, <laughs> my main work is just praying for the nations. And if I don't have an, a revelation understanding of who I am, I can, you know, this week I've been praying for Afghanistan. That's a, a messy country. But when I press into God and I press into this truth, I can go and I can start praying for Afghanistan thinking, I can pray and cause things to happen in Afghanistan. I really believe God, one of the countries that God has given me, apart from Egypt, is Afghanistan. Uh, and you need to hear what God has called you to be and to do. How can we live in that? We need revelation. Uh, and I just threw out some tools. Again, I don't have time to unpack it, but these are three great tools. Tools are things that help us become what Jesus wants us to be. Some people would call them disciplines. I prefer to call them tools. Something that helps you become like Jesus wants you to live and be. Kind of prayer, Bible, meditation. Bible, some of the scriptures I said, you know, read them. Write over them. Pray about them. Take that Ephesian prayer. I often do that. I just, you know, just pray through Ephesians 1 and 2 and say, God, let this be a reality in my life. Let it just sink from my head into my heart. Meditation. Meditation really means just to kind of soak in it and marinate it in it. Take time for this scripture and the Holy Spirit to take hold of that scripture to bring life so that you begin to live. So that becomes your natural way of thinking and living. To the place where that truth begins to um, overcome maybe your feeling and to press into that. And like I said, you know you have it when you naturally begin to live on a regular basis from that place. But you have to push into it. You know, when I wake up in the morning, the, particularly if I've been woken up by one of the kids screaming, those of you who have children might appreciate that. And then you open the curtains on the Monday morning and it's throwing it down with rain. You know, times like that, I've got to remind myself that God's in charge. And that he has given me all power and all authority. And let that be the way and the place that I live from. I, just, uh, I think I left a question there. I don't have time. Um, yeah, I'm going to pray quickly in that bit. Practical. God, I just really pray. I've been talking about revelation. And I just pray that you would open our hearts, God. Lord, whatever is stopping us grasping and understanding some of these truths that you would remove it, Lord. I just say, be removed, Lord. I pray some of those mountains, be removed in the name of Jesus. And we will go away with an insight and revelation this morning that however many times we've heard a talk like this, that we know who we are and we know what you have given us. Amen. Secondly, we just need to keep reminding ourselves. And you'll see, it wasn't a spelling error. I suddenly forgot where bold was. Because it's to do with like rewind. It's a bit like rewiring. To begin to think differently. What authority we have and what is the basis of our authority? Firstly, that we have all authority. I just said it. You know, was it a little bit? 
No, it's all authority. And again, it's not rocket science. Particularly if you know this verse, you've been brought up in church, you know this. But you really begin to grasp that he has all of it. And it has been given to us. It's not being lent to us. It's not like you can have it if you're good today. And that might be seem very simple, but it's very uh, important. Because I think sometimes we try to earn what we've been given. And we've been given authority. Maybe I'll give you an example. Maybe you never had this problem. Um, occasionally I, I do healing on the streets, either formally or what I call informally, just like living life. And um, I don't know about you, sometimes I kind of see a situation, I see a sick person, I think, oh, uh, I, didn't really, I didn't really take time this morning just to kind of read my Bible and pray. I don't know if I can, you know, if, I'm sure if I read my Bible and prayed this morning, I, if I prayed for him, he would be more likely to get healed. Maybe that's just, maybe that's just me. And, uh, but I think maybe I'm not alone. As soon as we, we are in a situation and we think, if, if we've done this, we've done that, or, oh, I just yelled at that driver. Um, I, I need to do, I mean, also we don't need to repent, so I don't hear that. But we kind of think that we have to do something to kind of earn that authority to be able to speak and see God's kingdom, to transact in the Father's business. Uh, and we kind of pick up the pattern of the world, because in the world, people so often get their authority from the loudness of the voice, uh, from a whole load of different other things, you know, from prestige, image. And we need to take care we don't, we don't go down that path, that our authority comes from Christ and to live at that place. But it's a fight, like a, I shouldn't put it there, but it's a fight because Satan also realizes what happens when we realize that we're trusted rulers. He doesn't want us to know what we've been teaching on. He doesn't want us to know that because he knows that when we begin to realize that we're trusted rulers, that we have identity, authority, and assignment, it makes him nervous because he knows that we will lead our communities into life. It's not a matter of, I wonder if it will happen. It will happen when we grasp this. So he would do everything we can. And it just hit me for the first time looking at, I've seen the temptations of Jesus in lots of different ways. I was always aware that Satan kind of tempted Jesus to deny his identity or to question his identity. But as I looked at it more closely, you could even argue as you look at the temptations of Jesus in, uh, say, Matthew 4, that Satan was trying to get Jesus to doubt his identity, his authority, and how his assignment would outwork itself. And so if that happened to Jesus, we, should find the, we will find the same. And so we need to kind of fight, we can contend for it. Because Satan knows that when we grasp it, that we will behave and we will act differently. I think I put it at the end, how would it look like today to walk this earth understanding that all the riches and blessings of heaven are our inheritance? How would our perspective on God and Asas transform if you really understood that he's already completely pleased with you. Wow. That's a big, big question. Can I go and think about? How can we take this deeper? Again, I don't have time to do this. Two great tools. If you ask people that do the disciplines um, and teach in this subject, they generally don't talk about prayer, Bible reading, fasting, the ones that we normally talk about. They normally focus on silence and solitude. Um, there's an event, I think it's in the bulletin, happening on November the 1st. But really, it's just creating space 
where all the distractions are all around our heads. Because it's very easy, even as I'm speaking, I can be thinking about a whole load of other things, believe it or not. Let alone you guys that are listening. And create that space where God can speak his truth. Where we stop listening to maybe some of the lies that Satan is saying about us. And we hear his truth. So that it goes deep inside of us. Again, I know time is rushing, but I'd just like to take a minute and um, just try to just steal yourself and ask God, what does he want to speak to you? I think particularly some of you, God just wants to speak into you that he loves you. Daddy God is here. And uh, um, Sarah was sharing earlier a picture she had of just God wanting to release his kind of kisses, his embrace. Now, she, she said kisses. The phrase I had was he, he wanted to come and kiss some of you guys, well, all of you, but some of you needed it more than others. And just embrace you and just to say, he loves you. Son, daughter, you're amazing. And I love you. And you are so, so special to me. And I can just picture my mind, it's just squeezing you. As soon as when I'm my children... Uh, particularly if they're doing something wrong there, they're trying to come out with um, explanations or excuses. I feel like the father just saying, shh, shh, just let me love on you. Let me just love on you. I love you. You're amazing. Yeah, you. You are amazing. You bring great delight to my heart. I'm so excited when you... I see you. I love you. (coughs) We need to let that truth sinking into our hearts. And break some of the lies that maybe we've had about ourselves. And again, it would be an opportunity. I haven't had as much time as I'd like to. But I really believe that this morning, the Father just wants to love on some of us. And just kiss you and hug you and hold you close. For no other reason than he wants to do it. And it's a great opportunity to do that. But we need to keep coming back to that. Because it's so easy where the other thoughts start coming into our heads. Just to summarize quickly. Identity and authority are found, embedded, and rooted into our hearts in that secret place. But they are worked and lived in the public, or what we might call the marketplace, wherever that may be. Identity and authority are found and embedded in the secret place, but are outworked and lived in the public and marketplace. So just to kind of tie up, not just the talk today and authority, but I kind of felt I had a responsibility to kind of tie up the series. Um... I, just, I was reminded of a, a game. It's written down there. You might think, well, what was he doing? Was he made a mistake? Um, do you know the game It, or some people call it Tag? I'm not sure if it's like a, a southern or northern thing, because I always call it Tag. And everybody down here seems to call it It. Um, do you know what I mean by that game? Yeah? Well, I really feel like God wants us to play that game. Now, there's two ways of playing it. There's kind of like, I come along and I... Tag Katie. So that means Katie's on, I'm not on. 
I'm not thinking of that one. There's another way you can play it, where I tag Katie, and now we're both one. Yeah, have you seen that play? I've seen it played both ways. Normally you just you run away. So now she's on. So now she starts going. She t- tags maybe Joe. I come over and I tag Sarah. And then bit by bit we do it. And hopefully when you see this game played on the playground, eventually there's just one poor person. And there's like 15, 20 people trying to get it. It's like a game of British Bulldog or whatever. And then finally everybody's tagged and the game's ended. That is what it's about. When, when we read Matthew 28, God was inviting us to have a game of tag, that type of tag. You see, when you play tag, when I touch Katie, I'm giving her identity, you're on. I'm giving her authority because whoever she touches now is as good as if I touched them. Yeah? And when we do it, we end up affecting the whole room when we play that game. The community has changed and so as I looked at it, I thought, wow. That's, I, just, I just thought, yeah, I love that. And I, and, I, and I sometimes keep that in my mind. This is just a kind of side point very quickly. Sometimes when I come to pray for people, I don't know about you, I feel intimidated, I feel nervous. And I just remember that principle. Jesus tagged me. I just kind of start thinking, oh, what am I going to do? I'm going to pray for this person. And then I just sometimes just slow myself down very quickly and just go, I've been tagged. Therefore, because I'm tagged, I have all that authority. Is as good. Me tagging Katie is as good as me tagging you. Because Jesus has tagged me, is as good, whatever situation I'm in, as Jesus being there. And I can guarantee, whenever Jesus was in any situation or circumstance, massive things changed. So my challenge to you this morning, as we finish this series, do you want to play tag? Yeah, I'm going to play it and see those communities change. So I'm going to hand over to okay, band. <laughs> and uh, but I really encourage you, you know, to kind of, kind of, I just had that sense of kind of like a child on your hands out and saying, "Tag me, God, come and tag me. Remind me of who I am. Remind me of the authority that I have." And you know, once you've been tagged, you can't lose it. You might not always outlive it. You can tag somebody. I could tag Katie and Katie would just go and just decide not to play and just go and stand in the corner. But she's, that doesn't stop her. At any point, if she suddenly starts moving and it touches somebody, that other person is going to be tagged. And so I think that's, again, that's just important. Right, I'll hand over to you, Graham. <laughs> This is 